Good morning, church. My name is Jamie, and I will be your preacher today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. Will you help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Get ready. (laughs) Okay, so the lectionary still has us in Matthew's gospel. And, um, And today it's from the 18th chapter. And it's starting at verse 15. But to give us some context for it, I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter. But to give us more context for that, I'm just going to do a recap of what's been going on in Matthew up to this point. Um, the first part of Matthew, right? It's Jesus. And uh, in the fourth chapter, he calls his disciples. And in uh, chapters 5 through 7, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And in 8 through 10, he uh, does some miracles. He does a lot of teaching. And he sends out his disciples. Okay, and remember, he gives them authority to preach the kingdom of God and to heal people. Yes. And um, in chapters 11 and 12, he teaches to crowds, right? And he reprimands the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. He speaks to them as a prophet, and he gives them really hard correction. And they hate him for it. And they plot to kill him, but the regular people, right, people like us, like they love his teaching. And um, chapter 13, that was the parables chapter. Remember, we did that last, last month. And um, in 14, it's where he feeds the 5,000. And he does more teaching and more miracles. And um, chapter 16, that's the one, do you guys remember when he asked the disciples, like, who do you say I am? Do you remember that? Because the people were kind of confused about him, and they thought maybe he was John the Baptist or Elijah. So he asks his disciples, like, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, right? He's like, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, um, and Jesus says, yes, and blessed are you. Uh, Because this was not revealed to you uh, with your own brain. (laughs) But uh, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And do you remember back in 13, in that parables, um, he told his disciples that they were blessed with hidden knowledge, right? And, um, And that their eyes and ears were blessed. So here's an example of that very thing. Um, So Jesus, he blesses Peter. And then he tells his disciples, like, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. It's time for me to be killed and raised up on the third day. And Peter, who did so well in that previous paragraph, right, he says, no, no, this won't happen to you. And Jesus, you know, his reply, he says, get behind me, Satan. And and do you guys remember there was another time where Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Do you remember that? Do you remember who he was talking to? Satan, that's right. (laughs) When he was being tempted in the wilderness, he says, get away from me, Satan, right? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So here, Peter's saying, like, no, don't go to Jerusalem. This won't happen to you. And Jesus says, 
He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, right? So let's put a pin in that, like keep that in your head. Um, in chapter 17, they're traveling, and he takes Peter and James and John up a mountain, and that's where he is transfigured. Uh, and he shines like the sun, and his clothes become the whitest white. And then Moses and Elijah appear, right? This is an awesome moment. And, um, and, and those three disciples got to see this, right? They witness this even more powerful Jesus than they've seen, right? They know he can teach and cast out demons and heal and feed thousands of people with one snack. And, uh, but here, the, the three disciples, they see a display of power like, like no other. And, um, and they continue traveling towards Jerusalem. And that's where we get to chapter 18. Okay, so we're going to do like verses, I think, 1 through 20 today. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like, a, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, 
And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, sorry, I'm going to need some water here in a second. If two, okay. Tell you what, we'll skip 19. (laughs) Okay. All right, we'll just end there. All right, here's a disclaimer. First of all, I'm preaching to myself today, okay? And if any of you feel convicted by any of this that I say, well, good. Uh, let's, let's repent and do better tomorrow. So, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And he, he tells them it's time for him to go and be killed and to be raised up on the third day. And... Um, And the very next thing it has that the disciples ask Jesus, well, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Like, it's such a disconnect. Because, um, you know, they're not so subtly asking, like, which one of us is the greatest? Right? That's what they really want to know. And Jesus, he he doesn't start yelling at them or accusing them of not paying attention for the last two years, right? He's not like, have you learned nothing about the kingdom I've been preaching about? All right, when I say the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, like, is that a joke to you? Do you think that doesn't apply to you? Blessed are the meek, like, you have no interest in this. Jesus doesn't lose his temper or even seem shocked that his disciples have asked such a question. Because he knows his disciples, and he knows humans, and he knows us. He knows about pride and egos and comparison. And these guys, they've traveled with Jesus, right, for years. He's taught them so much, and he's given them authority to heal and preach the kingdom. And they've done incredible things in his name. But the disciples, they're still human, right? They still have flaws, just like us. I'm sure that they fight and argue like we do. I mean, can you imagine? Like just two chapters before this, when Jesus asks, like, who do you say I am? And Peter gives the right answer. Like, for once, he's on it right away. And Jesus blesses him with this amazing blessing. And you know, the others were standing around like, oh, of course, Peter. And then in chapter 17, when he only takes three of them up on that mountain, you know, they witnessed all of this power, and I'm sure they came down the mountain looking stunned. And the others are like, well, what happened up there? And they're not allowed to tell. You know, they're like, nothing. 
oh, nothing. You know, I'm sure they're like, oh, whatever, teacher's pets, fine. And James and John, you know, they asked to sit next to him on his throne. And even his mom, or their mom, right, comes up, and they're like, she asks for special treatment for them. You know the others are like, oh, here, they got the mom coming. <clears throat> and what about Judas, right? He was like the treasurer, wasn't he? He had control of the money bags. That's a pretty important gig. Do you suppose that he wondered, like, well, when Jesus has his kingdom, I bet he'll ask me to be the treasurer. That's a pretty important job, right? So Jesus isn't shocked by their competitiveness or their pride, and he doesn't react to their who's the greatest, right? He just, he takes action. And he calls a child over for like a visual parable. Like, look at this. He says, unless you change and become like little children, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. So whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he reminds them that his kingdom is drastically different than an earthly kingdom. If you want to enter, you need to be like a child. And children aren't innocent, right? You were a kid once. (laughs) You know how kids are. But children have no agency of their own. They aren't powerful, and they need wise adults to help them. So he says to be great, you need to be humble and dependent on God. And when Jesus says, if you want to be served, you must serve, and he really means it. And then he takes it further, right? He knows his disciples, he knows us, and he knows our flaws. So he says, and if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, to sin, to fall away from him, then he says it would be better for them to tie a giant millstone to their neck, right? Drown themselves in the sea. Like, wow. And then he keeps going, right? If, he, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away. And I love, like I was talking about this with Liz the other day, how he tells us to throw it away. You know, like, don't leave it for someone else to clean up. Like, this is your whole problem. Like, you deal with it. <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs> But does any of us uh, think that Jesus wants us to mutilate our bodies or kill ourselves? Like, no. Right? Remember earlier I said put a pin in that? Talking about Peter. Peter says, never, Lord. You won't die. We can't let this happen. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He tells Peter he's a stumbling block, right? He calls him Satan. He's tempting Jesus. And does Jesus follow up his rebuke with tying a millstone to Peter like, it's better this way? (laughs) No. 
Jesus isn't telling us to kill ourselves or to cut off our hands, but he's telling us that we are to take this seriously. We are to think of sinning against each other as something that is deadly. Jesus says in verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. He tells them, don't hate a fellow believer because their angel in heaven always sees the face of my Father. And I don't know what that means. It sounds like believers have angels who advocate for them, right? I don't know. Just enjoy the mystery. (laughs) And then Jesus tells them a parable. And remember, he's talking to his disciples. He's not preaching to a big crowd, okay? He's not preaching to non-believers or new believers. He's talking to his students. He's talking to the ones that he's going to put in charge of his church when he leaves. So he tells them this parable, and I love how he starts it. Okay, it's verse 12. What do you think? That's how he starts that parable. (laughs) That's just a great line. What do you think? (laughs) So he says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one wanders away... Will he not leave the 99 and go look for the one who wandered off? And if he finds it, I'm telling you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 who stayed. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones, the believers, should perish. Now, why do you suppose he is happier about rescuing the one than he is that 99 didn't wander off? Right? He seems pretty ambivalent about the 99. In this chapter, he's telling, he's instructing his disciples, his future leaders, how to live in community. They will be a community of believers, a church, a kingdom family. And he knows family is messy. So there's this unspoken thing that's happening in this parable. What were you 99 good sheep doing when your brother sheep wandered off? There's 99 of you and like no one noticed. No one was concerned for him or did you notice, but deep down you wanted to see him fail. Do we think God is impressed by our perfect attendance? (laughs) Or do you think that maybe he would rather we soften our hearts and love and serve each other in our kingdom family? If we see someone slipping through the cracks, we need to make a move. Because doing nothing can be just as much of a stumbling block as being a stumbling block. (laughs) Please remember, 
I am preaching to myself today. <laughs> Although if any of this is hitting you like a gut punch, just go with that. <laughs> Pay attention to that. And I'm going to be honest, this just gets harder. <laughs> Jesus is teaching his disciples us how to be a kingdom family. He knows our flaws. He knows we are going to mess up. He knows we're going to sin against each other. In verse 7, he says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. He knows that we will mess things up. Our pride and our egos, we don't always make good choices. So here, Jesus is telling us what to do when we mess things up. Verse 15, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this is nothing new. This was in Deuteronomy. Okay, Jesus is just reminding them of this. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen... Tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I'm going to remind you, this was Jesus saying this. (laughs) I'm not making this up. He's giving us this instruction for conflict. Really, the key to conflict, Jesus tells us, is don't sin against each other. You should rather die than sin against each other. But since we're human, he gives us this method of conflict resolution. And what is it? Talk to each other. What if we actually did that? What if we actually talked to each other and tried to work out our issues? What if we gave people a chance to apologize for their sin before we started talking about them behind their back? What if we really matured into healthy, loving disciples? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Did I say I was preaching to myself? (laughs) Anyone else enjoying that gut punch? We need to get better at confrontation. And I want you to know that confrontation is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. It feels like it. (laughs) But so far it hasn't been. And, um, And I say that as someone who has had more confrontational conversations in the last 12 months than in the rest of my 40 something years combined. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, this pandemic has affected us all, and it has exposed some really big flaws in ourselves and in our culture. I'm sure you've noticed. And I've had more people yell at me at work this year than ever before, right? The public is acting like spoiled brats. 
And we don't have self-discipline anymore. Like when we are mildly inconvenienced, we lose our minds. I've had more people swear at me than ever, all because I've asked them to please wear a mask, right? Or uh, because I've told them that they can't sit and hang out in the library right now. Like we have everything kind of all put away. Because at the moment, you can come in and you can get your book and you can leave. That's all we can offer at the moment. And I know that these new limits are really frustrating but I don't think they warrant the kinds of responses that I have been getting day after day. Okay, here's something really quick, just on the topic of confrontation, okay? Everyone should learn two things, at least two things. We'll start with these two things. First thing, just because you're offended by something or your feelings are hurt, that does not mean that someone has sinned against you. I will give you an example. <laughs> In case you think I'm talking about you, let me give you an example. I have a friend, and her kid was doing a kind of fundraiser for the school, right? And she said, Jamie, my kid is selling stuff for the school. Will you buy it? And it was something really weird. It was like bed sheets. Okay, this wasn't like a candle. It wasn't a $10 candle. It was not Girl Scout cookies. It was bed sheets. I didn't need any. I said, no, thank you. But she got offended. She was not happy with this. It became a whole thing. Now, did I sin against her for not buying bed sheets from her third grader? No. But she was hurt about it. Okay, now this leads me to the other thing that everyone needs to learn. And that is how to accept no as an answer. I said it. <laughs> we really need to grow up when it comes to hearing no. And I'm not saying that hearing no doesn't sting, okay? Will you marry me? No. That one's going to hurt for a long time, right? But if I ask my boss, like, can we get an authentic brick pizza oven for the library? She's going to say no. No. <laughs> Right? And if I press her about it, like, well, why? Like, <laughs> I know this is a really over-the-top example, by the way. <laughs> it sounds reasonable, though, exactly. Right? But she can't justify that expense, you know. So I could let my disappointment over not getting an authentic brick pizza oven for the library. And I could, you know, I could pout about it. I could complain about it. You know, I could say, well, if I was in charge, I could do a better job, and I'd have the money for an authentic brick pizza oven. I could pitch a fit. Or, or, guys, if this authentic brick pizza oven, which I have written down a thousand times, if this was something I really wanted, if this was something I was actually passionate about, I could go back to my boss with a proposal, right? I understand that there are zero dollars in our budget for an authentic brick pizza oven. But what if I wrote a grant for the exact amount of money that it would take for 
this pizza oven company that I've Googled that goes to places and sets up a pizza oven for an interactive educational cooking program for kids. And we could set it up one Saturday, invite the community, come make a pizza, learn about pizza. <laughs> we could get the mayor involved. He could come down. He could declare it like, oh, it's Rainbow City Community Pizza Day. And uh, I'll get the parks department to bring some picnic tables, because we don't have any. And um, I'll even get the local Boy Scout troop to do cleanup. They always need volunteer stuff. I got that phone number. I can, I can do this. Now, she might still say no. That's a great idea, by the way. All of that is gold right there. <laughs> you see it. In three years, I'm going to have a pizza oven at the library. It might just be for a day. Okay. Now, she might still say no, but she's going to see that I am willing to do some really hard work. Right? And she might say, you know what? Let's not start with something quite this grand. Like, start with an ice cream truck. If you can nail us an ice cream truck and have it paid for... We'll do ice cream day, and then maybe next year we'll do pizza day. Right? So instead of pitching a fit, I worked through my limitations. <laughs> right? It might open up a no to a yes. This will not work for every no in your life. But I bet that it would work more often than not. And it's better than pitching a fit. It's better than acting a fool because you didn't get a yes that you think you deserved just for asking. Oh, man. So no isn't always the slap in the face that you think it is. That was kind of a wild tangent. Thank you for going with me there to the authentic brick pizza oven. <laughs> That's a good note. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, learn those two things, that uh, being offended doesn't mean you've been sinned against all the time, and, um, and learn to accept no with quiet dignity and grace. Hmm. Okay, back to Jesus. Anyway, do you guys remember? <laughs> we were in chapter 18. Um, he's teaching us how to deal with sin in the church. He tells us to confront one another, Right? And he doesn't say it's easy, okay? It's never like, this is simple, it's so easy, you'll have no problems, I promise. No, he does not say that. But it's needed. And it's actually way more loving than not confronting someone who has sinned against you. And he says, if they acknowledge their sin and repent, great. There we go. If not, you got to grab a buddy. Grab a church leader. Get Liz. Get Jim. Have a chat. If they acknowledge their sin and repent, great. But if not, you got to bring it to the whole church. And if they acknowledge their sin and repent, <laughs> great. And if not, well, <laughs> oh man. Well, if not, everyone is equally informed that this person is a sinner. And should not be trusted. And Jesus says to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Like, does this mean that we have permission to hate the person? No, of course not. Don't forget, Jesus 
shared meals with tax collectors. People got really upset about it. But no, Jesus tells us to love our neighbors and our enemies, right? We never get a license to hate from Jesus. But if a person in your church sins against you and does not repent after going through this instruction that Jesus has given us, there is no obligation to trust this person. And no one in our church should be put in a position to also be hurt by this person. Right? That's why at the end of the whole debacle, the whole church is informed. If I steal Karen's crock pot at the potluck. <laughs> what? <laughs> if I steal her crock pot, she's not in here, right? She just left. Like, but she catches me. Like, she watched me peel her name. Uh, it must have been a really good crock pot to you because I, I have one and I don't have anywhere to put it. I don't know why I'm stealing Karen's, but it must have been like a Cadillac crock pot. So if she says, hey, I saw you steal my, it's in your car, you get it, give it back. And if I say no, oh my gosh. Then she has to go and get a buddy. She's probably going to grab, she probably grab Kyle. <laughs> bring the muscle, bring Jim and Kyle. And then they've got to come up and be like, Jamie, we know you have Karen's Crock-Pot. You have to give it back. And I say, no, this is a good crock pot. I'm not giving it back. Then on a Sunday, Jim, he's going to have to get up in front of the church, right? And he's going to have to say, like, all right, attention, everybody. We have a family issue to solve. Jamie, you have stolen Karen's crock pot. And you need to apologize and bring it back. And everyone is going to just be like, is this real? <laughs> And if I say, no, I'm never giving it back, then everyone will know that I have lost my mind. <laughs> no, everyone will know that I should not be trusted and I should not be left alone with other people's stuff. Yeah. And I would also probably be removed from any leadership position I had. Uh, please leave your key. Now, I have been in church for almost four decades. And I will admit, I have never seen this happen. Like, I've never seen it get that far to where we had to have a huge church meeting in any of the churches I've been. I've never seen it go that far. And I'm not sure if that's because uh, we're all just so good at repenting right away or if it's more that we hate confrontation so much that we think it's better if we just ignore the slights against us and, uh, and just let it go, you know, since Jesus tells us we have to forgive them anyway. Oh, spoiler alert, you guys, we have to forgive anyway. <laughs> That'll be next week. So if I stole Karen's crock pot and I don't repent, and <laughs> oh, Karen's back. It's, it's this whole thing. Okay. <laughs> no, this is what I'm saying. Like, if I steal it and I don't repent, and she says, like, oh, that's okay, you keep it. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's not what Jesus says to do. It seems nice, but it's not loving. I'm getting away with theft. And the next potluck, I might steal two crock pots. <laughs> I know. And then I've hurt even more people, right? I love this whole crock pot crime spree. I have nowhere to put all of these crock pots I've been stealing, by the way. They're just piling up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know that this is all a wacky premise, right? But you guys, you guys get my point, right? Okay. So we should not ignore Jesus' instructions for how to deal with sin in the church just because we don't like confrontation. We need to learn to talk to each other and not talk about each other. What did she say? <laughs> all right, so let's sum up. In chapter 18... Of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is instructing his disciples and us on how to deal with sin in the church. And he knows his disciples, and he knows us. We have pride that gets out of hand, and we get jealous, and we get competitive to the point of comparison. You guys understand that competition is fine. Comparison is not. It doesn't... Uh, doesn't end well. And we, we are just like the disciples. We want to know who's the greatest. Who's the best? Why does she get to preach? What? <laughs> Why aren't I on the worship team? <laughs> Jesus has to remind them and us that his kingdom is radically different than an earthly kingdom. Yeah. If you want to be served, you must serve. You must be humble and dependent on God to enter his kingdom. He instructs us how to be in community and how to be a kingdom family. And he warns us not to sin against each other, right? Not to tempt each other to sin or to fall away. And he wants us to take his warning with deadly seriousness we should rather die or physically maim ourselves than to hurt each other. I should rather die than to steal Karen's crockpot. But we need to grow up, and we need to mature, and we need to be humble and learn to talk to each other. And we need to hold each other to the standard that Jesus tells us to hold each other to. And that's not easy. We have to learn to deal with our pride and to be genuine in our repentance. Yeah? We have to be genuine in our apologies. And this isn't easy either. Two weeks ago, I was noticing that I was really grumpy at work. Like, more than usual. <laughs> So I prayed about it. You know, I was like, Lord, I feel so gross. Why? You know, I feel so grumpy. And he was like, grumpy? That's cute. That's cute that you think that this is grumpy. He said, you have a bad attitude, and you have been like this all week, and you need to apologize for it. 
I was like, no, <laughs> no anything, <laughs> anything but that. You know, I thought, I'll just change. I'll just, like, start being happy right now, and I'll just change. But it would not leave me alone, you know, because I had been really snippy with my boss, and I did not want to apologize to my boss. This was not about pizza ovens, no. It's <laughs> a very good question, though. <laughs> um, so I did that thing where, you, like, you walk towards the office, and it's like, oh, I'm just getting some paper, you know, and, you know, and I'd go back and think, like, I'm not doing this. I don't, I don't want to do this. But finally, I just I sucked it up and um, put my pride in my pocket, <laughs> my gross pride put in my pocket, and, um, and I went in to her office, and I apologized for my bad attitude and my smart mouth, okay? That's the thing. I have kind of a smart mouth, and I get mouthy sometimes. Can you believe it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it was uncomfortable. Okay, that wasn't easy. Um, it was uncomfortable, but I lived, obviously. And, um, and at the end of our meeting, we were laughing, okay? And, um, and the whole mood in that place, it shifted just like that. Like, my bad attitude had brought everything down. And, um, but my apology, it was genuine. Um, and it shifted the whole atmosphere. And, and I bet our conversation lasted less than four minutes, you know? So for as much as I was dreading it, it was not a big deal. She was like, you are the only one who comes in here and apologizes. <laughs> so... It's not easy to deal with our pride, but it is not impossible. Like, it's not even close to impossible, right? That's true. If we make a habit, we'd be real good at it, like, by next week. <laughs> I'm just trying to set a goal. It's fine. <laughs> okay, let's, um, let's stop with that. Next week, oh, because it's a two-parter, guys. <laughs> yeah, dread that. Um, because next week, we're going to cover the rest of the chapter, and it's about forgiveness. Oh, man. So if you think confronting those who've sinned against you is hard, like, just wait until you find out that you have to forgive them whether they apologize or not. Hooray. <laughs> That's what Jesus says. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Oh, we love you. And we love your radical kingdom. And you want us to be part of it. And we are so grateful. And Father, we confess that we have a pride problem. We think and act like we are the greatest. And we live from that lie way more often then we live from our humility. And we're sorry. Please forgive us. And Jesus, you modeled for us how to be human, and you did it perfectly. And we want to be like you. And you are the servant king. And your instruction is so good. Thank you. 
Thank you for your sacrifice that when we repent, the Father judges us as forgiven. We love you. And Holy Spirit, will you help us with our pride? Will you help us with our repentance? And will you take our reluctant hearts and make them willing? Will you help us be a kingdom family who loves each other so much that we are willing to do the hard things so that we can grow in maturity and love? Thank you. We love you, God. We trust you, God. In Jesus' name, we ask it all. Amen.